All right, here to continue our Philippians series is Heather Kamira. Let's welcome Heather. Good morning. Good morning. We are glad to have you here with us. Uh, we are currently, I'll just jump right in, we're currently doing a series uh, in the book of Philippians. And it is a New Testament book, but it was written as a letter, as we found out in the last couple weeks. A letter from Paul, who is, at the time, he's imprisoned in Rome, and he sends this, this letter to the church that he planted in Philippi, one that he watched when it was just a couple people, Once, when it first started, a little community and how it sprang up into this, this really healthy community of people that were multicultural, they were Jews, they were Greeks, they were slaves, they're free, male, female, and they're all living together in this thriving little community, which really, back then, was unheard of in the ancient world. And you can kind of hear it in the tone of how he encourages and even counsels them, you can tell that he's writing to a group of people not only that he knows well, but he loves well. And there's this soft tone that is uncharacteristic in some ways to Paul, and uh, it's, it's really just a sweet uh, letter of encouragement to the people that, that he's missing while he's uh, imprisoned in Rome. And what we've seen in these last two weeks is uh, the theme, the overarching theme of Philippians, which is Christian maturity. Paul's encouraging them to, growing, to keep growing in ways that help them to just continue to say yes to Jesus, to say yes to God, and, and to love others well. And, and I think that's really just the aim of our ser series too, is, is to say yes to growing up, to becoming and looking more like Jesus. The further we learn how to love and welcome people uh, to, with the same love that God has shown us, the more we start to mature and look like him. So today, we're going to be looking at Philippians 1, 27 through ch chapter 2, verse 4. Now, Paul actually hears about some conflict that's surfacing in this beloved church, and he is quick to warn them that no matter how well things seem to be going, that there's always a threat that can conquer from within, and that's disunity. N.T. Wright says this, he says, every single letter that Paul writes is about unity. And that's a pretty bold statement. I mean, it means that honestly, if every letter is about unity, it's really, really important to Paul, and it's obviously really, really important to the Lord as well. Unity is oneness. It's a state of forming a complete and pleasing whole from multiple parts, from multiple parts. And what we're gonna see in today's passage is that having real unity in our communities is critical. And it absolutely directly correlates to the health and the impact of the church and even of our lives. Paul is speaking of what is essential here in this passage about what's essential in every healthy relationship. And he highlights the causes and the cures of disunity, kind of the description and prescription, the diagnosis and the remedy. And he lays out the pitfalls that can divide this church so quickly and shows them the ultimate way culminated in the example of Christ himself. So let's go ahead and pray and just invite the Lord to be with us as we dive into the word today. <clears throat> Lord God, we, we just thank you. We thank you for your love. Uh, we thank you that, that really you, you first loved us, God. You are our example. And we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come now, that you would come close, you'd bring your presence in our midst. And I pray that your word would have just a powerful effect on our hearts today and that you would just uh, speak through this message. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, I wanna first talk about the reality of disunity in our world today. Real unity hangs on our ability to come together and interact with people who are fundamentally different from ourselves. 
It's the, uh, the classic line that you'll see. I actually saw a t-shirt uh, just this last week that had this on it. I'm like, oh, that, they don't know that's a Bible verse. <laughs> and it said, united we stand, divided we fall. And that's from Mark 3:24. And it is a universal kind of understanding. But when we look at this modern world, it is becoming more and more difficult, isn't it, to see that unity Just look at how the news and social media drives division. It allows people to only surround themselves with just their own view. I never have to go to that station or that channel, or I'm only surrounded by the people that I have accepted or liked. And people are increasingly living in what we call echo chambers. (laughs) Echo chambers, which creates a more and more convicted belief that their way is the right way. And we become less and less able to understand other people's views. And we're less and less willing to live alongside of people that we disagree with, that we don't really understand, that are different from us. But we're not only divided politically, polarized politically, we are divided around moral and social issues as well. I mean, we're divided about our views on abortion, on on gun rights, our views of immigration, same-sex marriage, and healthcare. Name the issue, and you will find an enormous difference of opinion, no matter where you look. I think what Michael said two weeks ago was really fitting for this series. He said, just like a strong wind tests the strength of a tree's roots, So a strong wind of disunity exposes the level of love in the human heart. That's really good. But it's not just strong winds of disunity and conflict on a national scale. It's it's actually, we feel that tension close to home too, don't we? We we feel that in our, our homes. We feel... We feel that tension in our workplaces and in our relationships and friendships. How do we navigate that? How do we navigate that? But it's just, it's just as, as interesting when you look at what the secular world says about conflict, the reactions we have in conflict. Psychologists will tell you that, that the two reactions are fight, right? Have disunity, fight, but also flight. And in times of crisis, what we're finding more and more too is that people start to hide and that we have become, as a people, more isolated than ever before. I mean, sure, we have more friends and we have more followers than ever before that we even know what to do with, but we are more disconnected than we've ever been. We actually need people less and less these days. With Amazon being able to deliver within like two hours, I mean, we don't even have to go outside of our homes for milk. I mean, we don't even have to interact with people and we can do a pretty good job at controlling what people see and when they see it. Just add a filter, right? <laughs> you can, you, we like to control that, don't we? But what happens is when we stay on the surface and we never go deep with anyone, we're never known and we're, we become more isolated when we never really share life with one another, we don't really have real unity, do we? Not real unity. Real unity means not doing life alone. And it means coming together as a whole. So why are we like this? Why are we like this as people? And how how can we start to heal our relationships? Well, there's hope and there is a reality that is far greater than the conflict or the loneliness that we're trudging through today in our lives. Thankfully, this this problem of disunity is not just a modern problem. It was actually the early church faced the same kind of problems and and Paul lays out today in this passage what to do. So let's go ahead and read that passage in Philippians 1, 27 through 2, 4. And if you need a Bible, we have some on either side of the stage and also in the back. Feel free to grab one of those. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come or I see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed and that you will be saved and that by God. 
For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness or compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded and having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now the context for Paul's appeal for unity in this passage is that he's actually heard about two prominent women leaders, funny that it's women leaders, <laughs> in the church in Philippi, two coworkers that actually helped start the church, and, and he hears that they're quarreling with one another, and this is what we read actually later on in chapter four. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syndiki to be of one of the same mind in the Lord. He knows that it's affecting the church and so he directs them on how to navigate through it and what to avoid. So first he warns them to avoid doing two critical things which will cause further disunity in that church. And really what I would say is it's really the cause of most conflict if not all conflict in our world today. But by highlighting these I wanna start off saying this that and when we start to look at these two, we're gonna see, we're gonna see ourselves, we're gonna see our own tendencies, but, but whenever we look at the truth, whenever we look at God's truth, it's never meant to condemn us, right? When Michael said earlier today, no shame, right? We just say no to shame right now in the name of Jesus, because truth is meant to bring light and life. It's meant to reveal and expose, but also to bring life and freedom. And so that's what I hope by looking at these two, uh, these two causes for disunity that, that we'll just kind of see. We read in chapter two, verse three, lays it out. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Why are we divided? It's these two things right here. And what's interesting is that depending on the version that you have, honestly, every single version of the Bible, you're gonna get different words for these two originally Greek words because they're really hard to translate, but they're really rich words, really rich words. And so it's worth looking at. The first one, selfish ambition. That Greek word is eurethia. It means selfish ambition or strife, a greedy grasping to gain the upper hand, Self-promoting, self-seeking pursuit. Sound familiar? <laughs> In almost every broken relationship, you're gonna have at least one person, if not both, adopting that me first attitude. There's nothing recent about this temptation at all. I mean, it's pretty common, we all have it. Uh, it's actually the oldest sin in the book, literally, the Bible. It's what kicked Adam out of the Garden of Eden and it's what got Lucifer tossed out of heaven. What's fairly new about this though is that there's this now this general admiration or approval that we see that it receives in our world today. Eugene Peterson, a really great spiritual writer of our day, wrote this in his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. He says this, our culture encourages and rewards selfish ambition without qualification. We are surrounded by a way of life in which betterment is understood as expansion or acquisition or fame. Everyone wants to get more for themselves to be on top, no matter what it is on top of. That's what's admired. Wow. It's that spirit that causes us to fight with anybody who comes in our way of the things that we want and the things that we, we need. It's not governed by reason or, or thought or truth, but by a self-serving bias, my needs my desires. Either our needs are governing our relationships or the truth does. It's really one or the other. 
If truth governs our needs, let's say if truth, just reason, thought, logic, when you're able to, to govern conflict that way, you're easily able to say, you know what, let's be reasonable, let's, let's talk this through, let's actually listen to one another, because really we need to just understand one another. It's not about you're right, I'm wrong, he's right. It's not, it's more about understanding where we're both coming from. But when it's all filtered through my needs and my needs govern my relationships, by definition, I'm already right. I'm already right because it's my needs. It's my desires. It's my wants. And it all becomes relative, (laughs) dependent on what I need in that moment or what I'm desiring or looking for. And that is a really slippery slope for any relationship. It's hard to gain ground when it's all about you. And then let's look at the second word here. This is a, this is a great word. Uh, the second thing that causes disunity and division is vain conceit, or what I'd like to call vain glory, if you have the King James Version, that's what it's gonna say. And I actually really like that translation. The Greek word here is kinodoxia, and it means vainglory or empty pride. And kino is emptiness. And doxa is glory. That's where we get the doxology. It's the glory word. It's a person, get this, it is a person empty or starving of glory. But glory, glory means, you know what glory means? Glory means importance. It means to matter, weightiness or significance. Fundamentally, at our core, our core longings is what? They're they're to be respected, to be admired, to be loved, to matter, to be seen, to be understood, to feel secure. These are the non-negotiables that will never go away in our lives no matter what. (laughs) And the Bible says that in our heart, in the deepest recesses of who we are, we are always going to be trying to find that significance and manufacture our own glory. Because we know that we were created like that. We were created with an internal vacuum that only God can fill. Only God can fill. And you know what? Before sin, we were full. We were secure. We had a deep knowing of our worth, of the unconditional love of God. We walked unashamed in the cool of the day with God himself. Nothing separated us from him. But when sin entered the world, it robbed us of that glory. It robbed us of that indwelling sense that we matter to God, that we have intrinsic worth. Sin has separated us from God and it's filled us with a deep sense of emptiness, a deep sense of emptiness. And it's this emptiness that's the source of all the conflict in this world. It's the brokenness in our vertical relationship with God that leads to the brokenness in our horizontal relationships. But practically, practically speaking, how and why does that damage our relationships? Because when we're empty and we're operating out of a place of emptiness, we suck. And we suck, and we suck, and we suck. We become these black holes because we're trying to fill that vacuum inside by what we can do and by what we can get. And the whole world becomes a stage of idols, which is not a common word that we use today, but it just simply means anything that we try to fill our lives with that only God is supposed to fill anything that plays a role in our lives that only God is supposed to play. And man, that starts to affect our relationships. Instead of overflowing from a deep well of security and worth, instead of pouring into the relationships around us, we suck life out of the relationships around us. We feed off of them and we stake our worth and our need and our security and what we can get from that person. 
And boy, when they're not, when they're not cooperating, when they're not you know, filling our needs, it's so easy to just walk away, be like, well, that person's just not, they're just not doing it for me anymore. You know, I mean, we see that in the world. People don't wanna work on that. It's so much easier just to walk away. There have been so many times in my marriage, and I, I really see this as true in my own life. I don't know if you do in yours, but I see this so true in my own life, and especially in my marriage, whenever, whenever I am, I haven't been really connected to the Lord in, in like a fresh and intimate way, I look to my husband instead. I just naturally look to him. And when I do that, I get frustrated, I get reactionary, I get really critical because I'm not getting my core longings met. And I get really whiny about it. And my expectations are really out of this world for Adam. They really are. They're out of this world. They're they're only meant to be filled by God, at least first and foremost filled by God. And what happens is I, I don't realize it, but I'm looking at him through the lens of my emptiness. The lens of my emptiness. But when I'm abiding in an abiding, connected relationship with God, Adam is a blessing. He's a bonus. I actually can get my eyes off myself because my needs are full, right? My hunger pains aren't turning me inward and I can actually see him for who he is. So I start delighting in who he is. I start appreciating him more. I'm more of a patient person. I'm more of a gracious person. I extend grace instead of taking offense so quickly. I'm more understanding because I'm filled with the spirit of God. I can't do that on my own. Out of my own, I'm just like grasping for straws, but when I'm filled with the spirit, I actually have something to give. So what does Paul say is the cure to our emptiness of glory, our self-centeredness? I want to look at three things, not exhaustive list, but it's definitely what Paul chooses to highlight in the text today. And the first one is the gospel, belonging to one family, really matters. Look at Philippians 1.27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come or I see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. I love this, this quote from A.W. Tozer. I think it, it really illustrates this point. He says, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork will automatically be tuned to each other? <laughs> they are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. Hmm. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart more nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious <laughs> and turn their eyes away from God to strive just for closer fellowship. How interesting. You know, Paul says to persevere, to stand firm in the unity of the spirit. He does not say to create the unity, to start a unity program at your church. (laughs) He's presuming that the unity is already there, but he's inviting them to a greater, more transformative unity. Joni Erickson Tata says this. She says, believers are never told to become one We already are one. We're just expected to act like it. Ephesians 4.3, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. The unity is already here. It's already here. It's a state of what is. It's the reality that we're meant to live in because of the gospel, because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. We're family. And we belong, we belong, you belong, (laughs) you belong here. We're brothers and we're sisters. And no, we didn't get to choose our family, (laughs) but we're stuck with each other. So (laughs) God did that on purpose. 
But the invitation is, are we gonna live like it? Are we gonna live like brothers and sisters? Are we gonna live like it? The gospel doesn't just point to the fact that we belong to something greater than ourselves, it actually changes how we view other people too. When I reflect on what the gospel says about me, that I'm not as put together as I think I am, (laughs) I'm not as wonderful as I'd like to imagine, when I'm fighting with someone and I reflect on what the gospel says about that person and about me, that God must love them so much and me so much that he sent his one and only son to the world to save us, that starts to do something to my heart. It starts to equal the playing field at the foot of the cross. When I think about the gospel, it changes my heart toward myself and it changes my heart toward the other person. You know, we actually really need to be in relationship with people who are different than us to even help us understand what the gospel means. Henry Nouwen, who was a world-famous Catholic priest who gave up his prestigious teaching posts at Notre Dame and Harvard to work as the pastor of a community in Canada that ministered to people with severe mental and physical disabilities. Nouwen said that he worked with a boy who did not appreciate and could not comprehend Nouwen's global fame. This boy wasn't impressed by Nouwen's many books or his incredible education, what he knew or or what he could produce or what he could quote. (laughs) Through this boy, Nouwen discovered that God loved him just for himself. (laughs) It's when we get around people who could care less about what we know (laughs) and care less about what we could produce or do for them or do for the world that we start to get in touch with the truth that I am accepted by God for exactly the same reason as that other person is accepted by God. It's through the simple trust in our Jesus, in Jesus Christ, in his death for us. <laughs> the second cure I wanna talk about is love and being connected to the source. Here's what we read in Philippians 2, one through two. Look at the repeat of these words. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if you have any common sharing in his spirit, any tenderness or compassion, then make my joy complete. By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. You know, we really bring health to our relationships by just first starting with our own individual connection to God. Paul is saying it's not enough just to come to church and try to be a nice person, (laughs) that you really have no hope for real unity unless you are personally tied into an intimate relationship with God and that it is truly possible to have that. Because why? Because we can't give out of what we do not have. We can't give out of what we do not have. We are not the source of love, no matter how much we'd like to be told so, we're not the source of it. We can't give real encouragement to someone when we ourselves are really discouraged, when we're empty. We can't comfort someone else in their pain when we ourselves are just burnt out and and exhausted and irritated. Because if we try, it's just gonna be fake. It's not coming from a real source. But I want you to hear that this doesn't mean that we then need to spend extra time in our devotions every morning, you know, two, three hours, just so we're filled, so we don't, you know, run on empty. What I, what I want to just stress and emphasize here, that God is just simply saying, will you take me with you? Will you take me with you? Because conflict is not brewing in your prayer closet, just you and Jesus. Conflict's brewing out there, and that's where you need me. That's where you need me. When someone's like, yelling at you and telling you what they think you are, is Jesus standing right here telling you what he thinks you are? Because when he is and when he's with you, you start to filter everything they're saying through what he's saying. And he starts saying, girl, you do not have to worry about that because you know how I see you. You know that you are worthy. You don't have to doubt that. Don't listen to that, uh-uh, that, oh, that one, that, uh, that's true, that, you should listen to that. No, you know, like, but the Lord is there, he wants to filter with us through the conflict and, and through even the loneliness when we feel isolated and alone. 
He wants to be there with us. And that's the invitation today. Bring him with you. Bring him with you. It's when our significance and our worth isn't at stake anymore. It's when we're living out of that place of worthiness and security that we can finally be honest with ourselves and with other people about maybe the ways that we messed up, maybe the ways that we've, we've failed and, and we've, we've done something wrong. It enables us to start to see situations from other people's perspectives. And then the third cure is humility. Looking at Christ's example. Philippians 2, 3 through 5, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. You know, humility really is a prerequisite for unity in our communities. Humble people, they just don't think about themselves all the time, and they're not dominated by a focus of, of trying to fill their own needs. I have an analogy. For example, we usually don't think about our body parts, unless what? Unless we stub our toe, do we really even think that we have toes? We just, we just walk, we just walk. It'd be really strange if someone came up to you one day and just said, you know what? I want you to see this right here. I have an amazing elbow. I mean, my elbows are amazing. Do you see this? I mean, oh my gosh, like, this is amazing. You'd think, okay, you're a little weird. Either you have some elbow fetish or, or I mean, a step away. Or maybe their elbow was not working correctly yesterday, and today it is. There's an awareness of how well they're operating because yesterday wasn't operating so well. And the same goes for our egos, our sense of self. If we're healthy, we don't have to think about how we're doing. We don't have to. We're not consumed with what other people are thinking about us and saying about us. We're not thinking all the time about ourselves. And, that, and if we are, that means it's, it's prob there's probably an emptiness there. There might be something unhealthy or something that's, that's broken there. You know, it's almost impossible <laughs> to be in a bad relationship with people who always defer to you and are willing to let you go first. <laughs> it is hard to keep fighting with someone who says, you know what, I'm gonna get out of the way, I'm gonna let you choose. That is really frustrating to do life with somebody like that. You're like, really, are you for real? But humble people really aren't always asking what's in it for them. Humble people ask, how can I meet your needs today? Their focus is not on themselves, it's on somebody else. Humble people are confident in God. They've heard God's thoughts about their lives. They're encouraged by the Lord. They're comforted by the Father. They're enjoying communion with the Holy Spirit. So they're not clinging, needy or desperate for other people's approval. From that place of intimacy with God, they can navigate the terrain of living outside of, of what's normal for them, what's comfortable, and they can live with people who are vastly different from them because nobody can touch that security on the inside and nobody can take that away and they live out of that place. Here's an exercise for us. What if on our way out today, in the parking lot, you let, I don't know, two, three cars just go right on head. <laughs> You just let them, maybe four, you know, just really, you know, see how you start to sweat and go, I'm going to miss my lunch. Like, uh, and everyone's going to be like, you go, no, you go, no, you go. Like, no one's going to get out of here. But just try it, try it. Just when you're driving is a great way to start to, to test that a little bit. Or here's another one. What about in your conversations or your meetings at work or, or you need to have lunch here in a little bit? Maybe you actually put your phones away and you decided to actually pay attention, really pay attention to the person who's talking to you. Whether or not you are interested in what they're saying or not, doesn't have to do with you. Maybe it's just the act of listening, having your attention on someone else. Not me first, you first. You know, what's interesting about humility is it's actually the shyest of all the virtues. The moment that you call it out in someone and they go, well, yes, you're right, I'm very humble, it's gone. It's gone. You can't work on humility directly. You can only work on looking and trying to appear humble, but you can't really work on humility directly. Humility is just a byproduct of looking at someone else, Christ himself.
You know, this whole passage that we read today, it's actually a lead into next week's passage that Michael's gonna share on. It culminates in this beautiful hymn in the following verses. And it's this ultimate example of humility in Christ Jesus himself. And it's when we dwell on Christ, when we get our eyes off of ourselves and onto him, that humility grows, that it grows. You know what I believe? I think the only, the only way that we can really forget ourselves but not neglect ourselves is to look to God. And I really believe that dwelling on God is the best prescription for self-care and it's the best prescription for healthy, healthy relationships in our communities. And that leads me to our last point, the importance of unity in community. N.T. Wright says this, and he's a pretty uh, avid scholar of the life of Paul. People have often said to me, if Paul came back today, what would he be shocked at most in today's church? And I say unhesitantly, our disunity. Not just the fact that we are not united, but the fact that we don't care. For him, every letter he wrote was about church unity in one way or another. You know, Michael touched on this verse in the intro, right before Jesus goes to the cross, this is what he prays for us. So just think about it. The last thing that he wants to say to God the Father on our behalf is this. So it's really important. (laughs) He says, I pray in John 17, 20 through 23, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the what? The glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought into complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me. So why is unity so important? So the world that will know that Jesus is even real. It gives, it backs up the claims of the gospel, that it's really good news. This is a a really cute poem. It's kind of hard, heavy hitter, but it's it's a good poem. that I found in researching this topic, and and it says, you are writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by the deeds that you do and the words that you say. Men, read what you write, whether faithful or true, just what is the gospel according to you? It's not an easy thing to do in our culture today, where everyone is just more and more polarized, from religion to politics to pop culture, Everybody believes that their way is the right way. So when all of us, different kinds of people, walking together in unity for the glory of God, the gospel looks really big to them. It looks strange at first, but it looks really big. How do they do that? How do they do that? When we forego our own way to stand and to gather in the spirit of Christ, we make the gospel look extremely valuable. Extremely valuable. Do people see the love and the care of Jesus Christ in the way that we interact with one another? Do they see us visiting one another in the hospitals or bringing suppers to one another when we're sick? Do they see us hanging out and enjoying each other's company, just having fun with one another? Do they see us coming around one another when we're in need? Do they see us accepting one another even when we're in deep sin? If they see that, it gives reality to the message of Jesus Christ. The reality, just reality. We are messengers of Christ's heart for an empty world. We're messengers. You know, I saw a beautiful picture of this when we were marching in the 4th of July parade as a church. We had the most people out of any float or any group, and we had kids galore. And at one point, I realized, like, 
I don't think any of us are really in charge of our own child at this point. We're just all kind of like one big family taking care of each other. I even had a mom come up to me and she's like, look at me. I don't have any child on me right now. She's like, all my, all my three kids are being taken care of somebody else and I feel safe and secure and I feel just so blessed to be in this community where I can just stand here and enjoy walking in the parade and knowing my kids are taken care of. What a testimony was that with all eyes of Sunbury on us loving one another, enjoying each other's company, having a good time, sweating it out, <laughs> singing it out. <laughs> I love this quote, and I'll end with this, by Martin Luther King Jr. I refuse to accept the view that mankind is so tragically bound to the starless midnight of racism and war that the bright daybreak of peace and brotherhood can never become a reality. I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word. Hmm. So in closing, why don't we just go ahead and stand? And I wanna release uh, the communion ushers to head back and, and start grabbing the, the elements because we're gonna close the service today a little differently. We are going to take communion together because we're gonna celebrate. We're gonna just celebrate what Christ did on the cross to make us one, to make us one. So while they pass out the elements, I wanna just share this with you. A couple months ago, before I even knew what I was gonna be preaching on today, I woke up from a dream and, and the words uh, be united were in my head and just kept going over and over on its own. It was like, this is weird. I probably wouldn't have thought much of it Honestly, if it, didn't ha if it didn't just keep coming back to me and it kept coming back to me and kept just the words like be united over and over, I'm like, what is this? I mean, when I'm driving in the car and, and again, when I would wake up from a dream, those words would be in my head and, and so I finally like, clued in and go, oh, maybe I should pray about this. And then I asked the Lord, <laughs> Lord, like what's, what's the be united? I mean, that's like kind of a heavy command. It's like be united, <laughs> you know? That's, that's a command of sorts. And when I prayed about it, I, I really felt this weight that it was meant for just our community, especially as a church. Because there's gonna be a lot of changes coming in, our, in our, our district, our area here, our community over the next couple years, whether it's an entertainment park or, or homes galore or even schools that are gonna be being built. Our goal needs to be to stand firm and be united. We need to keep our eyes on that. And it's not just for us, even though it's just a reminder, it's just, and not just for us to remember, it's for all of those that'll be coming in the doors of our church, looking to be filled. And our job and our delight is to get to point them to Jesus, and not just in what we say, but in how we love one another. Because it's gonna back up what we preach. They're gonna feel it the moment they walk in this door and the doors of this church, when they try out our church, they're gonna, they're gonna sense whether or not this is a place where they're gonna get accepted or excluded. They're gonna be included or excluded, whether they're in or they're out, whether or not there's walls of hostility and division in this church or those, there's just no walls at all. There's a welcome, there's a welcome as though they could partake and be a part of what we get to experience on a weekly basis. So in communion, what we remember, the symbol of communion, is we remember what Jesus did for us on the cross and what we are called to do in response. It's all about reconnecting with God at our center. So we take those elements and that cup and, which represents the body and the blood of Jesus and, and the love that was expressed on Calvary and we take that into our core. <laughs> because it represents, it represents the extent to which God went to bring us back into communion with him, with him. So let me just pray. Lord Jesus, we're just so grateful that we get to just remember you in this moment. Our eyes get to just be fixed on you, to remember what you did and how you suffered to bring us back into community with you.
Lord Jesus, we're so grateful. Help us to be just attuned to how much you love us and what you did on the cross for us right now. Let this mean something, not just an empty tradition or ritual, God. Let this mean something. Holy Spirit, come fill us right now. Lord, as we take in this simple cracker and this simple juice, God, would we take in something much deeper? Would you fill us to our core? (laughs) Would you fill us, Lord Jesus? So on the night that when Jesus was betrayed, he took this bread, this normal bread or cracker, and he gave it eternal significance. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. And then in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the cup together. Mm. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So for ministry time, we're just gonna keep it simple. (laughs) It's for those that just need filled. We need filled today. And I think there's some of you that are realizing that, you know what, I've, you've never really accepted Jesus into your life and and therefore you've, you've had an emptiness inside that you've carried with you as long as you can remember. And if that's you, if, if you realize, you know, I've never given my life to Jesus. I've never said, Lord, would you just forgive me for all the ways I've tried to fill myself with things that I could make happen. And I realize I need you, Jesus. Would you come into my life? Would you be Lord of my life? If, if that's you, if you've never accepted Jesus into your life for the first time, I just invite you to do that today. He wants to come meet you and he wants to fill you. And if that's you, would you come, would you come forward at some point in the end here and, and just receive prayer? We'd love to bless you in that decision that you make today. And then for the rest of us, If anyone feels empty today, (laughs) I think Michael said this earlier, come all who are hungry and thirsty. Come all who are hungry and thirsty. So that's the invitation for ministry time today. We're gonna keep it short, we're running a little behind, but eh, we have time. (laughs) We have time. We're just gonna say, Lord, would you come? So for those of you that feel like, you know what, today I've just, I've come empty and I've realized I've, I've not been connected to the Lord in a way that that is where I feel secure and I feel significant and and there's weight, like my life matters. If that's you, because I mean, we all leak, we all leak. We need refilled by the Holy Spirit. So come forward. And I just wanna pray a blessing over just all of us right now. Lord Jesus, come. Holy Spirit, come fill us. We need a refilling, a fresh refilling of your spirit in our lives, God. We believe that without you, we can't do anything. So God, be our strength today. Fill us with hope, fill us with encouragement, fill us with comfort, fill us with your fellowship, God. We need you. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. And for any of you that are just have any kind of um, struggling with sickness or, or with some chronic pain, I just encourage you to come forward and get prayer as well because we just we believe that God loves to heal. That's who he is. So come forward and receive prayer as we sing this last song. i mm-hmm. 
next to you cross the aisle or however you need to just so you're not praying alone there we go Lord Jesus we thank you for this community Lord I pray you would just further knit us in to one another's lives that we wouldn't just just share what we want to but that we'd, we'd start to find connections make friendships with brothers and sisters where we were really known really known. Hmm. God, we thank you for the glory that you give us by your spirit and the ways that you fill us so that we don't have to keep looking for that worth outside of ourselves. God, I pray you would just bring restoration to our relationships, God. You bring healing to our world in the name of Jesus. God, that in the end, unconditional love would win, because we know it does. In Jesus' name, amen. We just bless you guys, and I hope you have a good afternoon. <laughs>